This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. The clock is ticking on the government's plan for a new public media entity to replace the public media outfits it owns now. RNZ and TVNZ. The plan is to get a business case ready for Cabinet and a charter that will have to be set out in the law. So what do we know about the plan so far and what happens next? Also, more sport on the air and on screen for free is just around the corner and we look at angst about sleaze on the small screen this week paid for from the public purse. It doesn't seem to me that we're soaring with the eagles on telling great New Zealand stories. But first, we look at how our media reacted to a new case of COVID in the capital after so long without any cases in the community. Judith Collins. Thank you, Mr Speaker. What we saw today was the Prime Minister being asked to answer some questions. David, what's that? Do we know? Can we start my time again? Oh, sorry. Can we start my time again, Mr Speaker? Yes, yes, well, well... We'll just wait till that damn noise. First of all, we'll wait for David to see him to tuck a shirt in. And, and then we'll... Is it stopped? It was the Speaker of the House, Trevor Mallard, in Parliament last Wednesday as the chamber echoed to the sound of alerts going off on MPs' phones to tell them Wellington was going into COVID level two. And it was a little odd that that damn noise, as Trevor Mallard put it, seemed to take him and many other MPs by surprise because that shift was the big news at that time as the 6pm TV news bulletins made quite clear. Kia ora, good evening. Wellington is going into COVID alert level two right now. The restrictions announced earlier today after a traveller from Sydney who spent time in the weekend in the capital tested positive when they returned home. These are the scenes from a testing station today. It was TVNZ's One News last Wednesday, and over on News Hub at six at the same time, political editor Tova O'Brien reported those testing stations were being overwhelmed by anxious Wellingtonians. She said that possible close contacts had been turned away from some of those testing sites, even those people from locations of interest, which, as it turned out, hadn't been publicised until the morning after they were identified as such. The Ministry of Health failed to let the pub know the COVID case had hung out there most of Saturday night, so they opened to around 50 people at 7 this morning for the football. It would have been nice to have known a couple of hours beforehand to save us from opening, but, um, you know. And there was more. A news hub can reveal that because the Ministry took so long to reveal those hotspots, even the Director-General of Health himself came into close contact with someone who'd been at the Te Papa exhibition at the same time as the New South Wales case. We also understand another close contact went to an event last night attended by the Prime Minister, Deputy Prime Minister, Judith Collins, David Seymour and Chloe Swarbrick. By being so sluggish to release those locations, you exposed more people to risk, didn't you? Look, I don't think it would be fair to characterise And the great and good of the national COVID response flirting with exposure to the virus prompted this question for Tova O'Brien on News Hub at 6. Is COVID feeling pretty close to home for the government? Yes, and Wellington City is a village. Everyone knows everyone, goes to the same places. It's also, of course, home to the political beltway. So that one or two degrees of separation means coming into closer contact with this place and the people running the COVID response. Now, not all Wellingtonians are quite as intimately connected as News Hub's political editor would have you believe there, but given that this could be a much more virulent variant of COVID-19 that's been imported via the trans-Tasman travel bubble, Tova O'Brien's verdict was this. 
There are simply no more excuses. The government needs to be better. It needs to act faster. And as for the media response to the breaking news, well, they too have done this dance before, as News Hub's Toba O'Brien put it. News sites like Stuff and theherald.co.nz fired up early, publishing explainers on what Level 2 means and kicking off live blogs with the latest developments and comments. And at about 4.45pm, Stuff posted the first predictable picture of a Wellington supermarket shelf stripped of toilet rolls. Later that night, Media Watch's Hayden Donnell took a look at how the story broke during what he called a silent night as far as the official response went, while something else was keeping people up at night around the country. If you were up watching the cricket like I was yesterday evening, you would have probably seen some tweets flying about... It was from New South Wales Health Authorities, and they sent out a release around 11.20pm, which named a flight into Wellington on June 18 and out of the city on June 21 as locations of interest in its COVID outbreak. So this was shared pretty widely, but it didn't prompt any public statements from our own health officials at the Ministry of Health. Hayden Donnell there last Wednesday in this week's Midweek Media Watch, which is our weekly catch-up with Karen Hay on The Lately Show. It's on the RNZ website, the RNZ app, or the Media Watch podcast feed if you missed it. Now, the Prime Minister gave this bullish response on Māori Television's Te Ao Māori News last Wednesday when she was asked if the government had been too slow. We were notified late uh, last night of the case. Interviewing went late into the night. First thing this morning, not only the locations of interest, but very clear instructions as to what we need people to do who are at those locations of interest. And the COVID-19 response minister, Chris Hipkins, also told Stuff that his message to Wellington was, keep calm and carry on. But Newsroom's political editor, Joe Moyer, threw one of the government's own slogans back at their ministers. Go hard and go early has been a winning formula against COVID-19, she wrote, but some mistakes are being made too many times, she said, under the headline, Wake up, ministers, COVID doesn't sleep. The Prime Minister insisted there was clear advice for people, something she repeated when she was asked this question by a reporter at a roadside press conference during her visit to flood-hit Ashburton. Are you satisfied with the way things have been communicated to the public? Yes, absolutely. You see on the Ministry of Health website, very, very clear instructions of those that we wish to be in isolation for 14 days and those that we wish to be in isolation uh, until receiving a test at the appropriate time, right next to the venues for those people we'd like to follow through on those instructions. So very, very clear for those affected. But this wasn't always the case. For instance, when media reported that a testing station would be set up at Wellington's ASB Sports Centre because that's what the Ministry of Health told them, that was incorrect. And people noticed, for example, News Talk ZB host Tim Dower, who was pretty sour about that on Thursday morning. Then Wellington City Council says, oh no, not here. People want to do the right thing, but they can't. Are we surprised? Not really. And he wasn't the only one in the media complaining. Newsroom's Joe Moyer also pointed out that the Ministry of Health had used complicated case categories which were supposed to have been discarded by now and that ministers' answers to media inquiries didn't pass what Joe Moyer called the public expectation test that easy-to-grasp information would be passed on as quickly as possible. As Wellingtonians brace for results of tests being carried out now and over the next seven days or so, the media's expectations are also pretty clear now to politicians and those who manage their public presence.
One of many of this government's projects that's been disrupted by COVID since the last election is its proposed new public media entity to replace RNZ and TBNZ before the next election in 2023. Now, this could be the biggest shake-up in the media so far this millennium, depending upon exactly what is proposed in the end. So what do we know for sure about this new public media entity so far? Well, it will have some income from the Crown and some from other sources, presumably TV advertising and sponsorship. And the Minister for Broadcasting and Media has said that everything that's currently commercial-free will remain so, and it will have a public service mandate to underpin everything it does. And the last major move in this process came at the end of March when the government appointed eight experts to oversee the proposal, the Strong Public Media Business Case Governance Group. Business brains from the company Deloitte have been running the numbers on what it would cost to develop, implement and run a new public media entity and their governance group will then examine their business case before the minister takes it to cabinet in October, which is just four months away. Now when that governance group was unveiled back in March, MediaWatch asked the minister, will the public be consulted in the new planned public media entity? The answer was confusing. Through the public engagement, through the Charter, I think we'll get, um, regardless of what the outcome of Cabinet's decision is, they'll have a chance to engage uh, via this group to see what a Charter and what's important to them in terms of public media. I think a lot of that discussion will be what traditionally public media has been about. Importantly, a part of that engagement too, we want to make sure that we're speaking to the wider, wider media market. But when we then asked the Minister, will the public see the new public media entity plan before the Cabinet says yes or no to it, the answer was clearer. No, that usually sticks with Cabinet until they make a decision. Well, all that was three months ago, so what's happened since then? Well, back in May, TVNZ's One News revealed that nearly $400,000 was spent on an earlier draft report by another crop of consultants from PwC. Freelance journalists who are paid by the word at nothing like that rate were startled by that sum, and so were opposition politicians who lined up to call it a waste of money because the report mainly set out the state of the media landscape today. TVNZ's Benedict Collins reported it like this. The 100-page report paints a picture of the media landscape here and identifies key players at both TVNZ and RNZ. The report itself says things like Kevin Kendrick is the CEO of TVNZ. Now, I knew that, and I'd be very happy to write a report for 400 grand telling everybody. Now, in fact, TVNZ's chief executive is Kevin Kenrick, not Kendrick, But the reason that TVNZ turned to Acts leader David Seymour for that comment in the first place was that it was his written question to the minister that revealed the price tag on that report. And echoing David Seymour's concern about that, Benedict Collins put this question to the minister Chris Farfoy. I mean, could your officials not have done the same job? Uh, the officials could have, but the Ministry of Culture and Heritage uh, that is responsible for media policy is, is a small shop, uh, and we knew that this is a big piece of work. Now, after that, TVNZ's Benedict Collins said this about the business case that's now underway. And there's more. The minister now hiring another firm, Deloitte, to complete work on the business case. And the cost of that... In terms of costs, we're obviously going to want to make sure that we spend taxpayers' money wisely. And the cost of that, another $500,000, was revealed by another written question from the Act leader David Seymour to the minister earlier this month. The Minister for Broadcasting and Media said that the work that PwC was undertaking as part of the strong public media programme was paused early last year because of COVID-19. 
The media landscape they analysed had changed dramatically during the pandemic, he said, so Deloitte was therefore contracted to go through the full business case process from here. And in the meantime, it seems that what the minister called a small shop at the Ministry for Culture and Heritage, which is overseeing the programme, has got a lot bigger. Almost $6 million was allocated in this year's budget for the Strong Public Media Project. Last week, a spokesperson for the ministry told Newsroom 14 people were now working on the Strong Public Media Programme, 11 contractors and 3 employees. And a spokesperson told Newsroom... It's common practice to supplement the standing capabilities of government departments with external subject matter expertise because of the scope and complexity of the work. But not only is it complex, time is tight. The minister previously said the business case would be done by next month, so the eight governance group experts could weigh it up before he takes it to Cabinet for approval by the end of the year. Now, back in mid-April, the chair of the Strong Public Media Business Case Governance Group, former New Zealand First Party Deputy Tracy Martin, spoke to the Auckland-based Māori radio station Radio Wātea, and presenter Claudette Hauiti asked her this. Can we then say that there will, there is going to be absolutely a merger of TVNZ, RNZ, or at this stage are you still just looking at the possibility, looking at the business case, nothing to really to see here yet? You know, can we say one way or the other whether it's going to happen or not? Um, well, I think that's a really good question. Well, it was a long question, and so was the answer. I, I actually don't think that one can say that we're looking at just a fait accompli, a merger of um, RNZ and TVNZ. Uh, we've been asked to put together, the, the expert group with myself have been asked to put together what is possible um, around having a single entity and a single piece of legislation that allows our public media to do more now, clearly, a lot hinges on that business case that Tracy Martin's governance group will analyse shortly. And on Radio Wātea, Tracy Martin indicated it would be made public after all, at least in part. So the very first thing we've got to do is make sure we articulate the problem really clear, really clearly. So that's the strategic, the strategic case of the business case. And um, I believe it's the intention of the group that as soon as we get that nutted out, we'd like to put that out into the public domain so that people can have a look at it, so that we get some real clarity about are we, you know, have we got this right? Um, because without a really clear problem definition and also getting in the voice, at least a targeted voice, of what should a public broadcaster be doing? What should they be delivering? Um, they've got to work complementary with uh, the private sector. We, we can't um, have them, you know, sort of running a monopoly over there. So all of those voices we absolutely need to get in, and that's what our challenge is going to be in a very short time frame. And when Tracy Martin wound up her chat with Claudette Hoiti on Radio Wātea, she revealed that the deadline for the charter of the new public media entity was just two months away. So I guess we're looking at trying to deliver him um, a business case and um, what we have heard that needs to be included in the legislation that creates, creates the charter by August at the latest. One month after that interview, Tracy Martin then spoke to newsroom.co.nz's journalist Stephen Parker, who concluded that the governance group seemed to be shifting away from what he called a heavy-duty restructuring of RNZ and TVNZ, and instead towards options for a new oversight entity with RNZ and TVNZ brands retained underneath. And Tracy Martin told Newsroom this. 
that doesn't mean that you would take RNZ and TVNZ and just smoosh it together. There could be an overarching entity over the top. Whatever that overarching entity is, it may have multiple brands underneath. And Tracy Martin went on to tell newsroom.co.nz, we can't dictate what the operational model of this new entity would be. Now that, it seems, is to be part of the yet-to-be-completed or revealed business case, and newsroom Stephen Parker concluded that the governance group had defined the scope of its own remit to be more architect and less house-builder. But if that's true, that runs the risk of repeating the problem a previous Labour government ran into during the 2000s. First, it gave TVNZ a public service charter, and then demanded it set up non-commercial TV channels, even though TVNZ's core purpose was supposed to be to harvest commercial TV revenue for itself and for the Crown. To use that building analogy, the government was the architect, asking TVNZ to build a public space when it was already preoccupied with running a convention centre and a casino, which it had already built. Now, TVNZ doesn't have that public service charter anymore. The national-led government scrapped the law that enshrined it back in 2011. But a complication in all this is that RNZ does have the RNZ charter set out in law, and it's supposed to be reviewed every five years. In fact, in the week that the five years were up back in April, RNZ's chief executive Paul Thompson told Media Watch this. What the minister uh, has indicated is that he would like the review of the RNZ charter to be put on hold and for the creation of the new charter for the proposed new entity to be the substantive process, which I think makes sense. But it's not up to the Minister of Broadcasting, or RNZ, how and when RNZ's charter gets reviewed. It's Parliament's job to do that. Earlier this year, National's broadcasting spokesperson Melissa Lee put a series of written questions to the Minister of Broadcasting, Chris Farfoy, about his plans. Chris Farfoy then wrote to the Speaker of the House, saying it wasn't efficient or practicable to review RNZ's charter this year, while his strong public media programme was working on something to replace RNZ altogether. But on the 6th of April, which is just one week after that governance group was unveiled and its mission to create a new charter for a new media entity, Parliament's Economic Development, Science and Innovation Select Committee announced that it will have an inquiry into the review of RNZ's existing charter. The committee met briefly earlier this month to talk about that and then again last Thursday morning to set the terms of reference for the inquiry. After that, I asked the committee's chair, Labour's MP for Hamilton East, Jamie Strange, what's the plan now? We have opened for public submissions. The uh, closing date for those is Friday the 13th of August. So people have around six or seven weeks to make submissions to the Charter. Legislatively, we have to undertake a review of the Charter every five years as soon as practical. So I would encourage anyone who has an interest to make a review to the Charter. We will hear all the submissions and then the committee will write a report and then that report will be presented to the House of Representatives. Why is the committee doing this? Because as we know, the minister has, uh, you know, wrote to the Speaker of the House saying, look, it isn't really uh, practicable in terms of the the way the legislation's worded to do this review now because uh, they've got a strong public media programme, part of which is a proposal with uh, a new public media entity and right now a group of experts working on a charter uh, which, if Cabinet approves it, will govern the new public entity, which will actually replace RNZ. So why does this committee think it's important to do this if it could end up being you know, irrelevant by the end of this year? Now, we had a discussion in the committee and we had a caucus discussion. There are two parties across the committee we've got, we're Labour and National. So each caucus had a discussion. And then after discussions within caucuses, discussions uh, within the committee, 
we decided that it was the right thing to do to open the inquiry into the review. And the reason that we decided that uh, was so that people could uh, specifically focus on uh, Radio New Zealand in terms of its charter. And like that piece of work, you know, the report that we write will 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 uh, no doubt feed into the work that the uh, minister is doing. But we just wanted to put a specific focus on on Radio New Zealand as um, one of our public broadcasters and uh, give people the opportunity to make submissions. Well, one of the members of the committee is uh, Melissa Lee, who is the National Party's uh, broadcasting spokesperson, has held that uh, role for quite a time and has been pretty active uh, questioning the government about the policy and the plans. Um, she said in a statement of her own, um, I believe that this uh, inquiry will be vital to getting to the bottom of the myriad of issues that surround public broadcasting policy. Do you think that there's a chance that you know people that really want to put the heat on the government over broadcasting policy might actually use this to... Uh, a kind of scrutiny of the entire government, uh, public media and broadcasting policy? Oh, look, um, as the chair of the committee, I will be encouraging submitters to stay focused on the terms of reference. And the terms of reference are specifically about the review of the Radio New Zealand data. And uh, when we do our report, uh, the report will specifically be focused on the uh, review of the Radio, Radio New Zealand Charter. So it is quite a specific, uh, narrow inquiry um, and uh, you know, I expect that that um, our report will reflect that. You know, the first steps for us is to hear the submissions, and then to write the report. And we'll and we will present the report to the House. At that point, you know, there will be discussion within the House of Representatives around any potential further next steps. That was Jamie Strange, Labor's MP for Hamilton East and Chair of Parliament's Economic Development, Science and Innovation Select Committee, which is conducting an inquiry now into the review of RNZ's charter, while a group appointed by the Minister of Broadcasting drafts a new charter for a new public media entity to replace RNZ by 2023. Last month here on Media Watch, we reported on the Australian broadcasting outfit called Sport Entertainment Network and its plans to fill the void left by the closure of NZME's Radio Sport back in 2020 after doing a deal to use radio frequencies the TAB used for broadcasting trackside. They were also planning to fill that void with some of the staff and broadcasters who lost their jobs when Radio Sport went off air. Their plan was to fly in from Melbourne and do a big reveal in Auckland earlier this month and announce the date that Sports Entertainment New Zealand would fire up 24-7 sports broadcasting on the radio here. But Victoria's COVID lockdown got in the way at that time and they had to wait till last Thursday to do it instead. Just as well they didn't book Wellington for that event. Now later than intended, the boss and majority owner of the Sport Entertainment Network, Craig Hutchison, made this promise. More live sport than you've ever heard before. And we'll make sense of it every day for you, 24-7, every single day. SENZ pledges to enrich the lives of a sports fan in New Zealand. Be it via our AM and FM frequencies right across the country, via the SENZ app, via video, podcast, streaming or catch-up, all for free. Made for you from five broadcast hubs, Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, Hawke's Bay and beyond. Craig Hutchison said that SENZ will go live on air on Monday the 19th of July, just in time for the Tokyo Olympics, and he promised more coverage of more sports too. SENZ, of course, will, from day one, broadcast rugby and cricket and racing and whatever sports float your boat, be it live sport and a suite of live sport rights in areas like the Warriors and the Phoenix and beyond.
Craig Hutchison also said Silver Ferns games would be covered live and the Black Caps overseas tours as well. In fact, Sport Entertainment Network has already offered ball-by-ball coverage of the Black Cap test this month against England via its online app, which is also free to download. Former cricketer Brendan McCullum, former All Blacks Israel Dagg and Stephen Donnell, the key hosts, along with former News Hub reporter Kirsty Stanway and former TAB frontman Mark Stafford. And the most experienced and familiar name is veteran commentator Ian Smith, who described his commitment to the new network like this. Serious when we have to be, um, investigative when we have to be, and uh, enjoying every single moment of it, hopefully, every day. Is that what attracted you to the project? No, there was a check. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Well, Craig Hutchison has written plenty of checks for the SEN network recently to rapidly expand its sports broadcasting across Australia, and especially in the last 18 months, while COVID has been causing havoc in the industry. But this is its first international venture, and we'll check back in on SENZ when it goes live on air next month. Meanwhile, two other broadcasters have also done an unexpected deal to put a top tennis tournament on TV for free this coming week. The TV Channel 3 will now show Wimbledon after its new owner Discovery did a deal with Sky TV. 3 will show live daily action after 10pm across the coming week, followed by a selection of live quarter and semi-finals, and then delayed coverage free-to-air of the men's and women's finals. And then on Friday, TVNZ announced that it's done a deal with Sky for free-to-air coverage of the Tokyo Olympics. That's running from the 23rd of July through to the 8th of August. TVNZ says TVNZ One's regular schedule from lunchtime right through to 2am will be taken over with the coverage, which will focus on the Kiwis competing. But there will be a break each evening for One News at 6 and 7 sharp. And when no New Zealanders are competing, TVNZ will have delayed coverage instead of other notable events from Tokyo. Takarere will move to the earlier weekday time of 11.30am on TVNZ1 for the duration, while soap opera fans who aren't into sport will also be catered for. TVNZ2 will air episodes of Coronation Street and Emmerdale, which have been bumped from TVNZ1 by the Tokyo coverage. Bevo sent me a text this morning going... OMG, can you believe this is going to be a movie? This is the story of the sex scandal with Len Brown and Bevan Schwang getting New Zealand on-air funding to the tune of about $2.6 million. What was your reaction? Well, it's extraordinary. When I first heard it, I had to go away and check that it was for real. That was News Talk ZB host Tim Roxborough on his show The Weekend Collective last Sunday reacting to his co-host Tim Beveridge telling him that an extramarital affair almost a decade ago involving the Auckland mayor at the time, Len Brown, was going to be aired in a TVNZ drama. And their guest on the phone there, former Cabinet Minister Peter Dunn, was pretty startled too, as you heard. But why were they talking about all that in the first place? Well, because of a headline in the Herald on Sunday that same day, sex scandal coming to TV, and a story beginning like this. The sordid saga of former Mayor Len Brown, ex-council adviser Bevan Schwang, and the town hall's Ngati Fatua room is to be played out in a publicly funded telefeature for TVNZ. Neither Len Brown nor Bevan Schwang are of much public interest these days, so it was fair enough perhaps for Peter Dunn to say that it didn't seem like the stuff of great or crowd-pleasing TV drama now in 2021. But for ZB's Tim Roxburgh, it was the seven-figure sum spent on it by the government's broadcasting funding agency that really grated. 
Is this the sort of thing that New Zealand On Air should be funding? Because it is public money. It doesn't seem to me that we're soaring with the eagles on telling great New Zealand stories. And over on Magic Talk Radio the next day, another veteran, Peter, morning host Peter Williams, was asking his listeners the same thing. Here's something else we might like to raise this morning in the light of the $2.5 million of taxpayers' money for a TV programme about the former Auckland Mayor Len Brown and his infamous affair with Bevan Schwung. What kind of media projects, you, in fact, if you'd like any of your dollars, your taxpayers' dollars spent on them at all? Now, as it turned out, none of Peter Williams' callers that morning raised that issue at all. But New Zealand On Air's choice of which bits of New Zealand history to dramatise with public money has been a source of criticism in the past. Great tragedies like the Tangiwai disaster and upheavals like the 81 tour have been picked. And so has Stephen Donald kicking a World Cup winning penalty in 2011. And even the couple who had millions of dollars mistakenly put in their bank account once by Westpac and briefly went on the run was turned into a lacklustre true life TV drama for TV One. Also, the sexual misadventures and the murder of Peter Plumley Walker has been given the Sunday theatre treatment in the past, so maybe a nearly forgotten decade-old Meryl sex scandal getting it too would be no surprise. But why was this drama a talk radio talking point now and a story stretching over two pages of a Sunday paper? The funding for the Princess of Chaos drama was announced by New Zealand On Air way back in December last year. Back then, they said it would be the story of a political scandal told from the perspective of the other woman, Bevan Schwang, but the media weren't interested in that back then, or in the $2.6 million price tag. New Zealand On Air said at the time the drama would be made by Flat 3 Productions, the team of Asian women who made the Flat 3 web series and the dark TV comedy Creamery that recently aired on TVNZ2. The reports this week, though, didn't mention that Princess of Chaos had emerged from the Asian and Pacific People's Feature-Length Development Initiative, which was run jointly by New Zealand On Air, the New Zealand Film Commission and TVNZ. And that followed New Zealand On Air surveys, which had found Asian New Zealanders were almost invisible in front of the TV camera and almost entirely absent behind it in our local TV productions. But those condemning Princess of Chaos this past week seemed to assume it would be 90 minutes of solid sleaze. But to make a 90-minute movie focusing solely on that seems to me to be uh, pretty tacky, actually. Mm. Well, what do you prefer, the, the Stephen Donald acclaimed film <laughs> The Kick uh, or, or the story of uh, things that go on in the Nati Whātua room? Yeah, well, none of them are particularly edifying, are they? And after that, News Talk ZB dialed up another former Cabinet Minister. He's a former Minister for Arts, Culture and Heritage. Chris Finlayson joins us now. Thank you so much for your time, Chris. Thank you for wrecking my afternoon. <laughs> Happy to help. And the former Minister of the Arts didn't hold back. Objectively, I wouldn't have thought uh, that it should be funded, but they're the kinds of stupid decisions that sometimes these bodies make. I mean, you may recall 20-odd years ago, the Arts Council decided to fund the Venice Biennale uh, and the star attraction was going to be a donkey braying in a toilet. And uh. Helen Clark not surprisingly, went ballistic about it. Now, a fine arts funding decision by another funding body has little to do with this one, but Chris Finlayson went on to call the idea trash. I personally don't think this is the sort of story that TVNZ should be uh, running as a, as a programme. It, uh, it um, is very unfair to Len Brown. But what sort of story is it? 
Well, the Herald on Sunday said that Flat 3 declined to give details of how they planned to tell the tale in Princess of Chaos because it was still early in the process. Now, it may or may not end up being a compelling yarn for TVNZ viewers, but it was stated at the time it was funded that this would be Bevan Chuang's life story and not Len Brown's. Now, there is also a story that could be told about this saga back in 2013, the dirty politics of how it ended up in the headlines. And when all that played out in 2013 in the news media, there really was a sordid relationship between the media and the sources of the rumours they reported. Indeed, this filled an entire chapter of the book Dirty Politics by Nikki Hager back in 2014. And that really would be an interesting TV drama or doco, though Chris Finlayson didn't think so on News Talk ZB last weekend. Oh, I don't think so. I thought it was grubby politics. Uh, The whole incident made me sick to the core, and I just think people should move on, as I say, show a bit of decency to Len Brown and his family. The Slater side of it has been uh, the subject of quite a lot of public commentary. Uh, Do we really need it made into a film? I don't think so. Well, as a minister in the government at the time dirty politics played out, Chris Finlayson knew what he was talking about when expressing that sincerely held view. However, when it came to Princess of Chaos and that TV drama, his criticisms and others, who centred only on the sleaze, were a bit like the braying of a donkey and a dunny that he mentioned earlier. That's all we have for you in Media Watch this weekend, but we'll be back with more on the media at about 10.30 next Wednesday night with Midweek Media Watch talking to Karen Hay on The Lately Show. And then back with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.